Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Fighting Home Podcast, the place where, as I say, you know, home is more than just the sticks and the bricks you live in. It's an ongoing conversation about life here in Utah along the Wasatch Front. My name is Keith Callister. I am your host. Today, I want to talk about a potentially controversial subject for many of us. And I want to start out with a story. Several months ago, uh, Tia and I were leaving a play. We'd gone down to the Eccles Theater to see... I want to say it was Kinky Boots, but to see a musical. And as we were waiting in the parking garage trying to get out, all I wanted to do was back out to get into the flow of traffic. But as you know, sometimes after these events, parking garages can get just wildly crowded and backed up. And as the car that was directly behind me started to move forward, the next car that, in my opinion, should have been waiting and allowing me some space to back out, just rode their bumper all the way through. And they made eye contact with me, which is the weird thing. Usually, you know, like, I mean, especially if I'm being a jerk while driving, and let's all be honest, most of us are jerks while driving sometimes, but most of the time people won't make eye contact with you when they're being impolite or being aggressive on the road. And these people just looked right at me, like, what are you going to do about it? And so I did what any well-meaning person would do. I gave them the number one sign with my longest finger, said some choice words that they didn't hear and waited till the next car actually let me out. Where this story gets interesting for me is at that moment, Tia turned to me and said, does that really help? And I proceeded to tell her that yes, of course it helped. And I spent the next 10 to 15 minutes explaining to her why flipping somebody off and swearing at them, even though they can't see me and don't really care what I think of them is going to help. At the end of that 15 minutes, of course, coming to the conclusion that, in fact, that didn't help. All it did was get me agitated, and nothing was really accomplished. As I continued to think about that after we drove home, and Tia, of course, being the remarkable human being that she is, didn't make me feel like as big an idiot as I actually was, I, I thought about it, and I thought, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to slow down, I'm going to pay some more attention to the way I'm driving, but I want to pay more attention to the way other people are driving. And what I noticed more than anything else was that there are drivers on our roads who are willing to take big risks for very, very little gain. Some of those risks involve getting to the light before somebody. Some of them involve getting revenge on someone for cutting you off. And I saw just in the first week after that, multiple close calls. And I started to think about just how interesting that is, that there are these risks we'll take driving, we'll take these crazy risks, we'll drive too fast, or we'll get too close to somebody to prove we're right or to make an in incremental gain. And these gains aren't that big. Like We've all had that experience where somebody's just driving like a maniac, they're cutting people off, you get cut off by this person potentially, and then you get to the next light and they're right next to you. So they've taken these risks, they've put themselves, they've put you in danger, but they haven't really gotten any gain from it. But it's things like that that make people say things like Utah drivers are the worst drivers. And so I wanted to, I was thinking about that and I wanted to kind of get to the bottom of this. Like, are we actually the worst drivers in the country? Because I feel like a good amount of time I'm a decent, safe driver, but I feel like most people on the road feel that way. But that's the question today. That's what we're going to talk about today is are Utah drivers actually the worst drivers or are we mistaken? The interesting thing, and of course in the age of information in the age of the internet i can find multiple sources claiming that both utahns are the worst drivers also claiming that utahns are the most polite and courteous drivers which is interesting when you can find articles to support and studies to support either side and so i want to talk about something really quick before we get into this and that's the difference when we're doing these studies between 
data that's gathered by people's self-reporting behaviors, so that's like surveys that go out, and statistics based on things like uh, number of car crashes, number of speeding tickets, um, that sort of a thing. Because we find some disparity, and the disparity often exists in where people are getting their data. I just want to say like that self-reporting is a different thing, because in most cases, as you know, if you're answering a question about yourself, you tend to answer about yourself in the best possible light. And that may or may not be the actual truth. Whereas statistics overall paint, to me, real data points that don't have a personal bias involved with them are going to show a much clearer picture. But there is a conflict. There's some conflict between, well, we're not the worst, but we're not the best. Some people will say, well, we are. I mean, here's this thing that said, we're the most courteous drivers in the country. And I want to talk about all of these studies that I was able to find that were fairly recent to kind of get an idea of why we have this conflict. Let's first talk about the studies that claim that Utah has the worst drivers in the nation. This came to my attention recently, just in, at the end of June. And that was that Quote Wizard, who is, and I don't have links to all of the articles I use here, but Quote Wizard, who is a, a company that puts together insurance quotes, they use 2 million data points nationally. And they, in this study, they were looking at the uh, most populous cities in the country, the 75 most populous cities in the countries, and, and they found, based on these data points, like car crashes, traffic tickets, drunk driving, those sorts of things, they rank Utah as the second worst drivers in the country. And that's heavily because we speed. We speed, and that's primarily, that's it. We have the second highest speeding ticket rates in the country, which is strange because we already have unusually high freeway speed limits like our 70 miles per hour that's not like the rest of the country it's a high speeding limit and we know everyone who's on the road knows that nobody goes the speed limit everybody figures the speed limit is a range with the bottom being the actual speed limit and the top being somewhere between 8 and 10 miles per hour over that so that's kind of an interesting concept is that that's based on what quote wizard says it says salt lake city drivers are the second worst in the country last year they actually did a similar study by state and utah was number one for worst drivers again because of the same factors because we speed which means we get more traffic tickets and we also end up with you know, more speed related crashes now we don't have as many fatalities as a lot of places which is something to be proud of and of course we don't have really high incidences of drunk driving but i don't think that has anything to do with our strict drunk driving laws i think it has more to do with the fact that the population as a majority doesn't imbibe they don't drink alcohol, therefore the numbers kind of end up skewed. There's that. And of course, I'm not <laughs> I'm not saying that drunk driving is not a big deal. It is. But uh, one of these days I'll talk about the, the new legal limits and how that compares to things that might actually be causing accidents, such as texting while driving, which seems to me to be a bigger issue right now. But like I said, so Quote Wizard has found Salt Lake City and Utah in particular to be the the worst drivers in the nation. And this is, um, I'm going to go over the study from last year. It's from December of 2016. They use those same data points, those car crashes, traffic tickets, drunk driving, that sort of things. And, and it came up with it. Utah is the worst. So we can have that pride and yeah, nobody's worse than us. But the problem is when we say that, we're included in that. And I think that has a lot to do with something I'm going to get to here in a minute, why it is that we have such aggressive drivers here in Utah. And I'm going to, I'm going to draw some lines that maybe don't need to be drawn in terms of cause and effect. So I'm going to really talk about some correlations, but I'm not, I'm implying that there's causation, but there's really no way to show that. Again, with Quote Wizard, 
they found us really bad. Insure.com, two years ago, ranked us as the 10th rudest drivers in the nation. I mean, essentially, we can see there's, there's data points that can support that as a state, we're not exactly the most courteous or the safest drivers. Sometimes I think that comes from a place of confidence. When people drive fast, they feel like that they're good drivers and they can respond quickly to situations. But, but reality is different. I mean, you're in this vehicle, this big thousands of pounds vehicle that's hurtling down the road. And your reflexes, as much as I love all of you, our reflexes as human beings aren't that great, especially if we're even distracted a little bit. And that's the same sort of thing as being being distracted by texting or even being distracted by a hands-free set and being on the phone. There's that. Now, here's the flip side. There were studies that were done that talked about Utah being the most polite drivers. Most recently, one that came out, I want to say just a, just a few weeks ago, by carsforkids.org. And I, I find this one to be problematic. I know we all like, to, again, to think of ourselves as, as ultra polite and ultra safe and, and such, but Cars for Kids did a survey to find out who the most polite drivers were in Utah, ended up being number 12 on that list. So we'd be the 12th most polite drivers in the country. But here's when I was talking about that selection bias. Well, I didn't say selection bias earlier, but selection bias where when you're using self-reporting, it gets problematic. And I want to, I want to talk to you about, so I have the questions that they asked on this survey. And they use the answers from this survey to rate people's politeness. But that's the problem is they're self-reporting. And I think all of us think we're more polite on the roads than we actually are. Whenever somebody else is cutting us off or maybe not letting us merge, we think they're doing it on purpose. They're watching us. They're closing that gap. They're making sure that we can't get in there. When the reality is probably different, we probably act in that same way many times, but we're unaware that that's what we're doing. So I want to talk about that because we think, I, I believe we think we personally, each of us is a better driver than we actually are on the roads. And that I think has a lot to do with distraction and also in some ways passive aggression. And that's what I'm going to get to here shortly. But let's talk about these questions point by point. So what they did is they asked these questions to see what you would do in these certain situations. So the first one is you're driving on a one lane road with a 40 mile per hour speed limit. A sedan in front of you is going a steady 38 with open road ahead. What do you do? Do you pass, maintain a two or three second following distance, tailgate, or honk and or flash your brights? Now, most of us want to say that we would just pass or even maintain that distance. You know, but I think all of us have had that situation where we've been that car going what felt like a steady 40 or 38 and had somebody tailgating us or flashing our brights. I just think all of us are not interacting with just the worst drivers on the road. My truth on this is like people said they would pass most often and then maintain a distance most often. I don't think that's true. But when we're self-reporting, we paint ourselves in the best possible light. The next one says close lane ahead, causing congestion on a highway. SUV is signaling to merge into your lane. Do you a, slow slightly to give the SUV space to get in. B, look over and wave your hand to allow the SUV in. C, close the gap between you and the car ahead and studiously avoid, or D, studiously avoid eye contact with the SUV's driver and continue inching ahead. This is a pet peeve of mine, and it wasn't until recently that I learned how these things should work, and the more that I do this, the more it seems like they work. Merges should work like a zipper, which means... You're not wanting to merge way back like we all want everyone to do because we think the person in the in the merging lane just thinks they're so smart and they're getting ahead of us and such and such. But the truth is both lanes should merge together and just work like a zipper right at the point of merge. And that's how you're going to avoid the most traffic. And I 
I guarantee you, once we get to the self-driving cars thing, that's how merges are going to work. And they're going to work smoothly and beautifully. And we're all going to be like, wow, this is great. Well, there's going to be some holdouts that are uh, hanging out for Judgment Day and Terminator-like scenario with Skynet. But we all, you know, in the, the respondents here say they would give more space. But any of us who've been merging know that that's generally not the situation when we're the one merging. But it's probably, again, not on purpose or something that people are even aware of. I don't want to keep going over this point by point. You kind of get the, uh, just like, do you use your turn signal before turning or merging? What do you do when you're in the left lane and suddenly realize your exit is rapidly approaching all the way to the right? You cross over all the lanes of traffic. There's just all sorts of these, you know, when the right lane is backed up due to heavy traffic at your exit, do you merge early? Do you stay in your lane? All sorts of situations. And people always have an answer. They'll answer in the best possible light for them. That's where I think these self-reporting situations get a little bit off because, like I said, we all want to paint ourselves in the best possible light. And the truth is, sometimes we're aggressive and sometimes we're not. The, the difficulty is that we never know who else is being aggressive on the road or if they're just being distracted. We don't ever know. Sometimes it's us, sometimes it's somebody else. And I think overall, there's a connection between passive aggression and aggressive driving. And let me talk a little bit about, about this. There's a, a study that was done in 2013 by a Weber State University professor, and he released his findings. And what he had found is he was talking about conflict resolution. And what he found is like he had studied, he had taught in other places in the country and he talks about five different ways to, to resolve conflict, one being competition, collaboration, compromise, accommodation, and avoidance. And what he found was that in Utah, avoidance was a much more common way to deal with conflict resolution. The problem is avoidance is not a very effective means of conflict resolution. And so he, he just noticed it. It was on a survey he would give his students. But then he decided to actually do a study, and he had a couple of different data points. And this is in no way meant to to be a to turn into a, a religious conversation. It's just his categories were Utah raised, non-Utah raised, and Utah raised in the LDS faith. And what he found was that Utah raised in the LDS faith had a much higher score for avoidance and conflict resolution. And what he says, this is from his paper, says avoidance is where people try to avoid the conflict. They do as the ostrich and stick their head in the sand. Compromise is where you realize the problem will not go away and you split the difference by getting half of what you want and giving the other party half of what they want. And what he talks about, I mean, that's a very simplified term, but compromise tends to be the most effective means of conflict resolution. The problem in, especially in, in many parts of Utah culture, um, this is what he said, too. The problem is that all conflict is perceived as contention, and contention is, quote, of the devil. It's so problematic because it holds a mental model that confrontation is a bad thing. That presents a, a particular problem when you're working inside of a company or working inside of your family or even just working inside your peer group when something like directness is perceived as aggressive or violent behavior. You know, people who've grown up in other places other than Utah are more used to or they're more accustomed to direct communication styles. Whereas here in Utah, I mean, if you really think about it, we're very used to passive conflict resolution styles. Susan Hafen, who's a professor at, at Weber State University, explained kind of how this ends up looking in the real world. And so I'm just going to read from this article. She says, it's what a manager of mine called the poison pen letter culture. In a previous position as a manager for Kimberly Clark Company, 
Susan Hafen's manager had a box where customers or employees could share any suggestions or grievances. When he'd worked in other areas, this manager, people tended to sign their names on the letters, but in Ogden, no one signed their names. She says, we got a lot of pretty disgruntled letters about managers, very personal attacks, and no one signed their names. Hafen explained that this was an irregular phenomenon because people in most other regions were willing to openly air what they believed should be changed, whereas the Ogden employees never took possession of their comments. Is being nice, so this is going back, it says, is being nice in the workplace a problem? Hafen asked, of course not. But if people are unwilling to be criticized and give criticism in a direct way that's honest, then things don't get solved. And often what we talk about when we're talking about this uh, avoidance conflict style is the culture of politeness here in Utah. And when you're face to face with somebody that the default setting is to be as polite as possible. From Michael J. Stevens' original study, he says about passive aggression, he says, passive aggression is the least common response option to conflict among the U.S. population at large, and is typically viewed as an inadequate and unconstructive strategy, at least over the long term. In its milder forms, passive aggression will manifest itself merely as polite and innocuous attempts to steer clear of uncomfortable topics or encounters with others. However, In its more insidious forms, passive aggression can rise to a level of interpersonal hostility and contempt that embodies a whatever response to the views and opinions of others. In this way, the passive aggression label can be misleading. A more accurate description would be passive hostility or passive contempt. A passive-aggressive person will generally deploy such behavioral tactics as keeping one's distance and remaining silent or aloof, hiding one's true thoughts, feelings, or emotions, suppressing, setting aside, or ignoring issues that otherwise should be addressed, postponing or ignoring decisions, resisting change, and otherwise championing the status quo, citing rules, policies, procedures, or higher authority as both a defensive and offensive tactic, and providing little meaningful or worthwhile feedback. And why is this relevant to drivers, though? Why does this have anything to do with driving? Because from the same study, it says, while your mom's advice, if you can't say anything nice, don't say anything at all, it may have worked in short-term basis on the playground. It doesn't work in real life. And the difficulty is that we kind of hold all of that pent-up tension inside of ourselves. And my thoughts are, let's actually take a look. This is also from the study. This is what made me think of it. Speaking of passive aggression, he says, in real life, this approach is more likely to lead to unhealthy response patterns and behaviors. These may include sulking, convenient forgetfulness, excuse-making, obstructionism, and intentional acts of inefficiency, artificial and superficially disingenuous relationships, long-term feelings of alienation and resentment that can build to the point of physically and psychologically violent eruptions. And as examples, he puts church basketball, Utah road rage, and basically online comment sections. So the correlation that's being drawn, and again, we can't make a causative link. Like we can't say this causes that, but there is a good solid correlation to make and that is often when we've been raised here we've been given inadequate examples of what healthy conflict and disagreement looks like i know myself having grown up uh, in the lds church the idea that contention is of the devil was a really easy conversation stopper when you can cite scripture and say nope i don't want to fight about this this is a contentious situation you stop the conversation i also think culturally often we feel like it's best to hide these things from our children i just want to throw out one more example of something that i noticed the other day with with tia and i and i when we were driving we as you know i I broke my leg about a month back and 
getting places is hard and I'm really hungry for social interaction. So when people invite us out, I really want to go the extra mile to actually go out. And I, I think I may have overdone it because we were invited out to dinner with some friends and we also had some house guests and we also had a house full of kittens that we were going to sell for my, my sister-in-law, but I really wanted to go to dinner with these friends. And so I was pushing it and we went, but we were running late and I got all huffy about it. Even though with my broken leg, I'm on crutches, I'm not walking around in a walker cast, I can't really carry anything. Tia is doing all of the heavy lifting, not just the majority of the heavy lifting, not just half the heavy lifting. She's doing all of the heavy lifting to run our household right now, which is a hard space to be because I tend to help out as much as I possibly can. So we started discussing this in the in the car and I hadn't had a chance to properly really mentally go through it. So as I'm just a talker, I started to kind of spout off some things, some things that stories I was telling myself about her not finding importance in the things that were important to me and not considering that these friends of ours are her friends too and that she wanted to see them as well. We got just a little bit heated. We don't yell at each other and we don't really argue, but we did kind of have to start explaining ourselves to each other and she started explaining herself to me. And we talked for about 10 minutes in the car and our kids are in the car and Noah's like, why are you guys fighting? And we, we had to stop and, and we had to explain it. So the, well, we're not fighting. We just, we have a disagreement right now and we're trying to work through it. And we want to understand each other. And as we came to a space where we could find some agreement and where um, she could kind of understand where I was coming from and I was able to have more empathy for her situation because I wasn't in that emotionally charged space, we really, we took the opportunity to stop and tell our kids like what that was, guys, is that was, that was some conflict resolution that was actually an emotionally healthy way to deal with something that could have just seethed and simmered and become a much bigger deal than it needed to be. Because the reality was, Tia wanted to go as much as I did, but she had so many things to do between all the things that we had taken on that she was just spent, but she had a list of things that had to be done. And her lists of musts, her list of have to do, things like feeding these kittens so they don't die, those sorts of things, those are things that weren't on my must-do list. My must-do list was get out the door. So in this situation, of course, I'm using an example where I feel I was in the wrong. And that's not how it always works. Like in any relationship, there's not just one person who's always right. And with that, we find ourselves more and more willing to talk about these difficult things or these disagreements in front of our children to provide models for them of what it can look like. Because it doesn't have to be where you go into silence and get all seethy and mad, but it also doesn't have to be where you're yelling at each other, where you're raising your voice and where you're getting overly angry. There is models where you can be direct about how you feel, even if how you feel doesn't end up being justified, that you can still express that and you can talk through it and you can get to that. So is there a connection between conflict resolution, uh, our lack of ability to do that, and aggressive driving? I think so. I think what happens when we get on the road is we stop seeing people as people and all the politeness goes away and they're just somebody in a metal box. And they're no longer that person who has a home and a family and loved ones. They're just somebody who's in our way when we're trying to get from point A to point B. And I think that has a lot to do with the fact that we are able to depersonalize these people driving these cars. That's why when we are being aggressive, we'll refuse to make eye contact. Like I said, we're not always all aggressive. But enough of us on the roads are driving aggressive at once that it's causing problems for everybody on the road. So are Utah drivers the, the worst drivers in the, in the country? I don't know. 
Some days I feel like they are, and some days I feel like they aren't. And some days I feel like I'm one of those people who makes people believe that Utah drivers are the worst drivers on the road. But at the end of the day, what I'm really hoping for is that a conversation like this allows us to stay more aware. Look around. When other people are on the road, don't look at them as a car trying to get in your way. Just imagine they're the same as you. They're just a person trying to get to their destination whether that's home, whether that's work. They're just another human being. And I think if we can start to look outside of ourselves, and especially as we're driving in these metal death boxes, look outside of ourselves to see other drivers as exactly that. Other people. People with lives, people that may be distracted, all sorts. People that maybe have some place to be, people that might be late, just like you. And I think if we can stay aware and just pay a little bit more attention, we might be able to drive just a little safer out there. And maybe we can all feel a little bit better as we're driving on these fine Utah roads. With that, I'm going to let you go as far as my leg goes. Two more weeks, well, about a week from when uh, this episode will get released, I will be able to put partial weight on it again, and then maybe I'll stop talking about it. In the meantime, there's some really sick bruising on it, and I am so tired of crutches. But... I am well enough that I've been back out showing homes. Of course, if anybody needs any help in that regard, hey, here I am, right? I'm able to to handle that and help you with that. You can find us online at findinghomepodcast.com, also at facebook.com slash findinghomepodcast. On Instagram, also at findinghomepodcast, although I don't use that Instagram feed very much. I think I'm going to get started using it just a little bit more. Subscribe on iTunes is something I would really appreciate uh, people do. Like we've had great numbers so far like more people are listening to this than i anticipated would and that is just fantastic news for me something that's really helpful is to subscribe in itunes itunes specifically just because that's where the bulk of people who listen to podcasts are listening to podcasts so if you can subscribe in itunes listen to the podcast there maybe leave a review if you feel like it if you like it if you don't Again, if you would like to be on the podcast to discuss some sort of local matter, to discuss your business, or even just to discuss, you can counterpoint everything I've talked about today. You can counterpoint that. We can have a whole discussion about this, and I would love to talk to somebody who disagrees with me in any way, because I, I, again, trying to have that positive conversation with conflict resolution. Like I said, you can find us at FindingHomePodcast.com. If you want to get a hold of me, uh, you can go to the website and contact me. You can also email me at FindingHomePodcast at gmail.com. It's FindingHomePodcast at gmail.com. And that is all we've got for this time around. I would be happy to hear from any of you that would like to talk. Uh, So until next time, we will talk to you later.